You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This is uh, Father James Shaw, and I would like to continue with uh, another uh, short talk. Um, and this one is called uh, In a Manner pleasing to himself, which is a quotation that I'll explain. During World War II, Dorothy Sayers, uh, the famous English uh, scholar and novelist, uh, rewrote The Life and Death of Christ as a series of plays on the, on the BBC, on the British Broadcasting Corporation. The text was entitled the man born to be king. The subtitle was A Play Cycle on the Life of Our Savior Jesus Christ. Miss Sayers wrote an introduction to this text, which was published by Ignatius Press in 1990. In this introduction, she remarked on the difficulty many of us have envisioning the graphic seriousness of the passion of Christ. Quote, If you show people the bloody death of Christ, they are shocked, so they sh- and so they should be. If that does not shock them, nothing can. If the mere representation of it has an air of irrelevance, what is to be said about the about the need? It is curious that people who are filled with horrified uh, indignation whenever a car kills a sparrow uh, can hear the story of the killing of God told Sunday after Sunday and not experience any shock at all, she said. We live in a civilization in which holy innocents uh, are killed every day uh, in abortions and things like that. Shocking things do not shock us, a fact that often seems to define our civilization. Miss Sarah's thesis is, of course, that ironically, the classical ideas of drama were carried out and in a way completed or even overturned by the actual events of Christ's life and death. Art sometimes anticipates reality. Yet, she wonders, can there even be a Christian tragedy in the classical sense? Surely Shakespeare was a Christian. And he wrote tragedy, and yet the theological difference uh, between the Greeks and the uh, Christians uh, makes us wonder. She says, quote, short of damnation, it seems there can be no Christian tragedy. Indeed, if a man is going to write a tragedy of the classical type, you must be careful to keep Christianity out of it. 
at least it will not do to introduce a completely Catholic theology where Christ is, Christ's cheerfulness will keep breaking in. Marlowe, the uh, atheist, did indeed write a Christian tragedy and by just instinct uh, chose the only possible subject for unrelieved Christian tragedy and Christian gloom. Dr. Faustus is a tragedy of damnation, but it is not classical Faustus. Uh, it is not, uh, and not the victim of fate. He was what uh, he chose. Uh, his hell is bought and paid for. Moreover, it is an individual catastrophe. His damnation, that of Faust, is not shown in any relation to the divine economy, whereas the sin of Judas uh, played its part in the great comedy of the redemption and if he uh, damned himself it was because he did not choose uh, to wait for the last act the end of the quotation <clears throat> so our point is is that you can't really have a Christian tragedy because all of the tragic heroes in one sense are not the subject of fate but are subject to their own decision there is no ambiguity in damnation. Either something is chosen or it is not. The fates do not rule us. What I find striking about Miss Sayre's analysis is what she says about the relation of the drama of the death of Christ as is related in other religions and in the sayings of the ancients. First, she says that whenever there is a, a suffering God, the futility of classical tragedy is overcome and values are to be, are to use a famous Nietzschean word, transvalued. Quote, to this conclusion, many races of men were guided by that spirit which um, always uh, is is present in the language in, in human in human nature. That's that is, there's some sense of this in human nature. If it could be uh, thus, they felt all would be well. As if there was such a thing as a suffering God, all would be well. Once the resurrection took place, the disciples changed who died was quote the being of all beings the divine comedy was uh, uh, proclaimed and joy is our end so the end of the christian tragedy the death of christ ends up because of the resurrection to be a joy to be a cause of our joy quote under Pontius Pilate the prophecies of the poets have become furnished with a name, a date, and an address, he said, Miss Sayers wrote. 
Glaucon, if I might recall a famous passage in the Republic, affirms that if a just man appears in any existing society, Glaucon is a figure in Plato's Republic, uh, Plato's brother, in fact. If a just man appears in any existing city, what do most people think would happen to him? Uh, and the answer is, a just person in such circumstance will be whipped, stretched out on a rack, chained, blinded, uh, with fire, and at the end, when he has suffered every other kind of evil, will be impaled. The end of the quote. That's in 362E of the Republic. In the light of this classic poetry and actual Christian history, Dorothy Sayers reflects reflection is most astonishing. She says, quote, All the people, all the prophecies were fulfilled. Those who made a reproach to Christianity that it taught no new morality and uh, invented no new kind of deity could not be more uh, more laughably wide of the mark. What it did was to uh, guarantee that the old morality was actually valid and that the old beliefs literally true. He worshiped the know-not-what, but we know what we worship that which we have seen with our own eyes and with our minds and are, have handled. This passage from the first letter of John. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. God died not in a legend, not in a symbol, and not in a distant past, and not in a realm unknown. But here, a few weeks ago, you saw it happen. The whole great cloudy uh, castle of natural religion and poetry and poetic philosophy is uh, brought down to earth and finally cemented upon that angular and solid um, cornerstone in the quote. Here, I think, Dorothy Sears has anticipated Joseph Ratzinger's letter on Christ, the Dominus Jesu document, with all its proper distinctions um, by more than a half a century. Let's say uh, Dorothy Sears wrote about half a century before Ratzinger did. Mankind uh, searches uh, for the origins and uh, its origins and its destiny uh, without ceasing. He, he, he seeks his origin and destiny without ceasing. But all such searching must eventually lead to a reading, uh, to a reality that actually happened. In Joseph Pieper's discussion of tradition, he defended Plato's use of the sayings of the ancients. I do not believe 
any more than Plato did, people write, that the truth is always intimately bound up with the old, or that the more mere fact that something has been said since time immemorial, or that the mere fact that something that something has been said since time immemorial uh, represents a certification of truth. The wisdom of the ancients can be certified as true only if it was derived from a divine source. Plato, too, made this fact perfectly clear. As Joseph, in Joseph Pieper's very useful book called Joseph Pieper in Anthology, page 216. Yet Pieper held it possible that there was, midst mankind, an echo or reminiscence of a primeval revelation which took place at the beginning of human history. This position <coughs> cannot be used to suggest, as certain theologians uh, on hope imply, that no subsequent revelation uh, to mankind was possible. But most of the tales uh, seem to agree on certain points. Knowledge of how the world was born out of uh, ungrudging goodness of the Creator, knowledge of the perfection and fall of the primordial, primordial human being, knowledge of the judgment which awaits uh, us at the end of the other side of death. End of the quote. People did not think that Plato or anyone else had an actual anticipation of the specifics of Christ's uh, work, neither the Incarnation, the Passion, nor the Resurrection. Yet it is precisely that work which made the tales true in their, in their own way. Peeper then suggests that how this ancient revelation somehow present in men might look to and be fulfilled in what actually happened. Quote, A man of the stature of Thomas Aquinas did not hesitate to say that even people who had not actually seen, actually been exposed in an explicit form uh, to the revelation of Christ might be capable of belief uh, that God would uh, redeem mankind in a manner pleasing to himself, which in effect uh, involves the concept of implicit faith in Christ, of believing with a, uh, an implicit faith, he said in the quote. In this view, people uh, saw some possible connection uh, with the ancient lore and tales, especially those of Plato, uh, with the 
concrete facts as the relation of tales to the concrete facts of Christian revelation. Both traditions uh, tell us that God himself stands warranty uh, for the meaning of the world and for man's salvation. In her famous essay, uh, The Greatest Drama Ever Staged, uh, Miss Sayers uh, trenchantly observed that, quote, dogma is not dull, the end of the quote. Rather, quote, it is the neglect of dogma that makes for dullness. The Christian faith is the most exciting drama uh, that ever staggered the imagination of man. And the dogma is the drama, she says. This is in a book called The Whimsical Christian. I often go back to Glaucon's um, account of what would happen in any <clears throat> existing city if the truth, uh, if the truly just man would appear in it. It is Dorothy Sayers' uh, thesis that what was anticipated happened. It is also her thesis that this death and resurrection destroyed tragedy and introduced joy into the into our midst. Thomas Aquinas, as usual, had the right uh, had it right. God uh, did redeem mankind in a manner pleasing to himself. The end of the um, short talk. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.